Today we're talking about nonprofits with Pat Maserol, a great nonprofit attorney. Welcome to the Barry Law Legal Podcast. Barry Rosenzweig has been an attorney for over 25 years and is nationally known as a visionary in his profession. In each episode, attorney Barry Rosenzweig interviews lawyers, real estate agents, lenders, and other professionals that bring popular legal-related topics into focus for his listeners. So get ready for an educational and exciting episode. Now, here's your host, Barry Rosenzweig. Today in the studio, we have Pat Maserol, and he's an attorney that I've known quite a while, and his background has been in estate planning, trust, and probate, charitable planning, uh, and nonprofits. And we're here today to talk about nonprofits. Welcome, Pat. Well, hi, Barry. Good to see you. You too. Tell me a little bit about your background. Well, I'm uh, an attorney, of course. I actually started out in the sciences. I'm a physics uh, background, worked in uh, technology for a few years and decided I really wanted to practice law, like that idea of, of engaging directly with individuals. And um, I spent most of my career actually in the, in the trust wealth management industry, which is around estate planning. We work with charities, private foundations, and so forth. And um, and I'm now practicing law with a, a firm in Minneapolis. Okay. And if I remember correctly, you were in the legislature as well? I was in the legislature for a term uh, representing uh, West Bloomington, uh, South Edina. Well, we're going to, like I say, talk about nonprofits today because that's an area you're experienced in and have worked in um, for quite a while. And I think a lot of people are unaware of what a true nonprofit is, what the reasons for it is, what the benefits, um, why you would set one up, why you wouldn't set one up, how you set one up. So we're going to delve into some of those things today. I think I'll start out very general and ask you what a nonprofit organization is from a legal standpoint and a practical standpoint. Well, from a legal standpoint, it's uh, usually a corporation. It can be a different type of entity, but nearly all nonprofits in Minnesota are in a corporate form. Uh, so just like any for-profit type corporation, they're registered with the Secretary of State. They have a board of directors. They have a, a statement and articles of incorporation and bylaws and all of that. Uh, the real difference is with a nonprofit that it cannot be used for the benefit of uh, individuals. For instance, in a, in a for-profit corporation, shareholders make money from the corporation. That doesn't occur in a nonprofit. So who, who are they designed to benefit? Well, they're designed to benefit whoever the purpose or mission of the a nonprofit corporation says it's to benefit. So it may be children, may be uh, educational purposes, may be uh, um, uh, to address poverty, homelessness, that sort of thing. <clears throat> but it's really the beneficiaries are those that receive benefits from the corporation. And the beneficiaries can cannot be anybody who's part of the organization or uh, runs the organization? Well, it couldn't certainly couldn't be directly because you can't set up a corporation to benefit yourself and get the sorts of tax benefits uh, uh, and legal benefits that a nonprofit corporation is intended to give what we might call owners, though a nonprofit doesn't technically have owners. Um, those who want to set up a nonprofit really do so 
for uh, purposes of, of helping others. And so uh, that's, uh, that's really where the state says uh, and has guards against making sure you are profiting others by this organization. You're not profiting yourself. Now, having said all that, those that run and, and work in nonprofit corporations certainly are entitled to salaries and compensation for the work they do. And is that probably like a reasonable salary for the work they do comparable to the same type of salary they get in a similar company? Exactly. Okay. And, and, and those are the kinds of questions that the IRS and the state will ask. Aside from the intrinsic value of creating a nonprofit for beneficiaries, is it strictly a tax benefit that they're getting um, for that for doing those things? Is that the primary reason besides providing services or uh, finances to other individuals? It's definitely the primary reason. Uh, you know, with a nonprofit, you're able to receive donations from others, and those donations for, from the donors may be tax deductible. Um, there is exemption from, if properly done, exemption from state sales tax, exemption from federal income tax for any growth in the uh, income to the nonprofit, uh, in some cases exemption from property tax. Can any type of company, as long as the, uh, the funds are used to benefit others, be set up that way? Yeah, I think the edginess would come uh, or the test would come really in what, what, are, what is their primary purpose and, and where do they really focus the majority of their activities. Uh, a nonprofit corporation is set up that way primarily, not necessarily exclusively, but, but really primarily to benefit others. Now, a nonprofit corporation may engage in other related activities that don't necessarily address that purpose directly. And for that, they'd end up paying taxes for that income. So, so nonprofits sometimes do actually pay tax. Correct. Okay. Their income mm-hmm. and revenue, well, does that have to primarily come from donors? I mean, is there other where, other areas they can receive income or where would they, re- other places they would receive income? Yeah, there are other places. Uh, um, some nonprofits are set up with uh, membership fees, for instance, or they may provide services where there's some sort of a fee for service that adds to their revenue. Um, and, um, and if that goes directly to the uh, nonprofit mission, um, it's not income per se. But, uh, but a lot of nonprofits, and I think what most of the public is familiar with, are the, the types of things that we give funds to, charities. And, um, and that's a big part of most nonprofit organizations. Well, let but, me give you a scenario. You tell me if, if I were a client coming to you, what advice you would give mm-hmm. them as far as if they could set one up or not. Mm-hmm. Um, a small restaurant or coffee shop, and their purpose is to um, supply you know, food or beverages or coffee to people who are of low income, um, and then maybe they have standards as to what's considered low income, and they actually produce the products like anybody else would, and they pay for it, and then they basically, um, let's say, sell them at very little profit or low, low cost, maybe just enough to cover their overhead. Um, but the primary purpose is to not have people come in and them to make a profit for money, but their purpose is to give to people with low income and come in who have low income. Is that something that somebody could do and still take a salary out? If they, they can take a salary and if it were set up so that 
anything over and above that is received as revenue beyond their expenses uh, goes into feeding itself back into serving those same people. So you can reinvest the money that you've had of income back in the business. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. What you can't do is have, say, the owner... Uh, I, I, I hesitate to call it owner because nonprofits don't have owners as such. But you can't have any individual receive any benefit from the what we would call profit, the okay. revenue above expense. But if there, like you said, if there was a profit uh, earlier, you said if there's a profit over and above their expenses, they may have to be taxed on it. But you're saying that that's only directly related to something that's not for the benefit of. What it was set up for. Correct. Is that right? That's called unrelated business income tax. Almost like a side business or something like that. That's part of the organization. That's correct. Okay. That's correct. What does it take to to start one legally? Yeah, to legally start, uh, establish the corporation doesn't take a lot, but it's it's a filing uh, with the Secretary of State. And uh, there's certain things that need to be in the Articles of Incorporation to fulfill the, re- the statutory requirements of, of being a nonprofit. Now, that establishes an organization, but to really get all the benefits, all the tax benefits, there's a, a, a secondary follow-up step that's a, a little bit more uh, onerous, and that is applying to the IRS for that tax-exempt certification. And that's, um, uh, that takes a little bit more diligence and understanding what the questions on that form are all about. Do, does the IRS have to actually put their stamp of approval on it and say, yes, we allow it? Or do they basically accept it and not really comment on whether it truly is a nonprofit? No, they very much question it. Their purpose is to assure that all of the activities and purposes of the organization meet nonprofit statute and allow them to say, we're going to exempt you from tax. And with that, and so there's a number of questions behind that. You know, how do you operate yourself? How much are you paying your directors? How much are you paying employees? Um, Are there any uh, side agreements? For instance, you couldn't have uh, someone uh, with, uh, let's take your example, with a a food supply business who's supplying this restaurant and making money that way. So that's what the IRS is just making sure there's no way this is being set up for individual profit. How long does the IRS take once you submit it? I tell clients figure on about six months uh, to get back the certification. And so you said it has to be filed. Well, you have to, the documents have to be produced. Correct. Then you file it with the Secretary of State. Is that what you said? For the original incorporation, correct. Okay. Is it a regular corporation or is it like a nonprofit organization you file with them? Uh, You file it pretty much like a regular corporation, but it's got all the terms within it. That are different. That that are different. Okay. That make it nonprofit. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then what about the Attorney General's office? Do they get some type of filing with them at all or not? Yeah. The Attorney General's role... um, Think of the non every nonprofit organization as really a, a public service, non-governmental public service, and so it doesn't have owners. As I mentioned earlier, there's there's so the real standing of protection of the organization is a protection of public service, and so the attorney general is sort of the attorney for the state and for individuals in the state uh, is uh, granted authority over 
oversight of nonprofits, and that comes into play in a number of different ways. So they're aware of it, just like the Secretary of State and the IRS are. There's there's a different disclosures, different filings for all those organizations. Correct. Okay. In certain circumstances, there's a need to f actually file something with the Attorney General, but it isn't always oh, necessary. Okay. Yeah. okay. Just. But for instance, if a uh, if a nonprofit were sued, the Attorney General gets notified. Uh, in Hennepin County, if a nonprofit is a beneficiary on an estate and uh, that beneficiary designation is a, is a formula, a percentage rather than a fixed amount, the attorney general gets notified because they're there to assure that the nonprofit gets what it's due okay. and to assure that it's so. Protected. So it sounds like if somebody had an estate or a will or their own trust mm -hmm. and they designate some portion, maybe all, but some portion of their estate to be donated to the nonprofit. That is something that the Attorney General's office gets involved in. In Hennepin County, and if it's not a fixed amount. For instance, okay. if someone leaves $50,000 to a, a nonprofit and they receive a check for $50,000, there's nothing to be looked into. I see. If it's a formula, though, then, I see. yeah, that's okay. what the attorney okay. gets involved. I got gotcha. you. Does a nonprofit have to file a tax return? Is it different than a corporate tax return? It's a different return. It's not a tax return per se. It's a Form 990. And effectively what it is is a... Um, uh, it, it, it can be pretty lengthy and more detailed even than our own uh, tax returns. But the purpose of that is to assure that the funds that are being received, the purposes for which they're being spent, uh, the salaries of the highest paid uh, employees and officers are all in line with what uh, is appropriate for a nonprofit. Other than tax returns, what, what information is public? Well, everything that's filed with the Secretary of State, so your articles of incorporation are public, who your directors are is public, uh, at least initial directors. This Form 990 is a public record, so that can be searched. Frequently donors, particularly major donors, will want to will do that. They'll go and search that 990, and they want to see, you know, that, for instance, the percentage of funds that are going directly to benefit others is high enough and that there isn't a high percentage on salaries or right. administration. Again, we're going to go back to starting a nonprofit. Is that mm -hmm. something that somebody could do themselves? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> as, uh, as a lawyer, I guess, yes, you could. Um, uh, the problems, of course, run into there are issues of um, doing it accurately uh, and not having a back-and-forth conversation either with the Secretary of State or with the IRS uh, before, you, before you get it right. And the IRS, you asked earlier about the IRS's diligence on this application, and, it, and it's pretty intense. So even prepared by a lawyer, there might be some follow-up back-and-forth conversation. So I wouldn't recommend it. Um, I suppose someone could search for the forms and at least get a form, a nonprofit established, but I think it's, sort of, it's the compliance that comes after that okay. in particular that becomes troublesome. Do you recommend follow-ups to make sure everything's in compliance, like yearly, or 
pretty much unless they come to you and say you have questions or do you think it's a good idea that people check with you every so often to make sure things are going right? I strongly, strongly recommend it. I mean, there there are, you know, there are annual filings with the Secretary of State that are, are pretty straightforward. But on the other hand, you want to make sure that, for instance, your corporate minutes are up to date, uh, that you're exercising a proper duty of due diligence over how funds are being spent. Having that recorded and having an attorney on retainer of some sort to do that is advisable. All of my nonprofit clients do that. That's something that I talk to them about. I think one of the dangers a person who wants to start a nonprofit can have is they're immersed in the mission doing good and wonderful things for others, a lawyer can be troublesome. Yeah. <laughs> but but in fact, it's the lawyer's uh, oversight that will help keep them in compliance and out of trouble. I always equate it to like an insurance policy. Correct. Um, you buy insurance and you pay what it is and hopefully you never use it. But if you need it, it's there. And going to an attorney and having them do everything for you and look it over and um, advise you on things is, again, insurance and they don't find anything wrong, it's still good insurance to pay because they, you know you're doing everything right. You know you're doing it right, yes. What are some of the top things that can throw somebody out of compliance with a nonprofit and all of a sudden they're not a nonprofit anymore? Well, a big one is not filing uh, their 990 or other annually required forms. Uh, another one, which we've talked about in a couple of contexts here, is, um, is overpayment of uh, directors, someone getting a benefit that's clearly beyond what they should, um, and and not performing the duties that uh, that they're established to do. With all these uh, uh, obligations and risks that a director takes on, why would somebody want to be a director? Because they're good people. <laughs> <laughs> as long as they behave. <laughs> as long as they behave. I, I mean, you know, I think uh, the state looks favorably on, on nonprofits. It is a public service, and, and uh, the intention isn't to, uh, to have a gotcha on, on directors who give of their time and resources. Uh, but at the same time, you have to make sure you're you're doing it for the right purposes and not getting personal benefit from it. And in that corporate documents you spoke of, where it has the mission, so to speak, mm-hmm. about the nonprofit, is that that's correct? That's right? correct. Mm-hmm. Um, how specific or vague can you be in there, and can be across the board on different things that you're deciding to? Uh, have a mission on? There's actually some some standard language that can be used that's, that's very broad. Um, I encourage my clients, though, if they're doing this, to think through what's their real purpose. And I attempt to have them somewhat narrow it, leave, leave enough breadth in there so that, you know, they aren't going to get caught going outside of what their purpose is, uh, but narrow it in the sense of it focuses the board and it focuses them on why are they really doing this. And I think it uh, um, uh, it helps focus the organization toward its purpose. And you have to have a board of directors? You have to have a board of directors. You have to have at least three on that board. Um, typically, when you get started, uh, you'll, you'll name three or more uh, as your original board. And in most nonprofits, 
that board of directors is um, self self perpetuating, self sustaining, in that they elect the next board, they assure that the board continues. Nonprofits typically and by statutory default don't have members. They have a board of directors, which again is not an owner, but basically the runs the ones that make all the decisions. And in a nonprofit, what do the actual directors do? Do they, and how often do they meet? Yeah, they meet. Um, uh, I have them meet at least annually, depending upon the activities of the organization. Um, they might meet more frequently than that, but their primary role is to oversee the executive director of the organization to assure that. Um, uh, that the finances are appropriate, they're being appropriately handled. They approve the 990 before that goes out to the IRS. Um, and, um, and they assure that all the operations are within the, the four corners of the uh, Articles of Incorporation and bylaws. And are there legal documents that are involved in those annual meetings where people, directors sign off on? Well, the meeting is documented through minutes, and that's another one of those things that an attorney can help make sure are kept up to date. And the minutes are there to say, what did the board of directors do? And depending upon the bylaws and the organization, oftentimes in that annual meeting, they'll be renewing um, uh, the role of the executive director. They'll be approving an annual budget. They'll be, as I said earlier, approving the 990. Kind of all of the the high level oversight. They'll assure that you know they'll get reports on the activities of the organization during the year and are those activities within the mission uh, the, uh, and purpose of the organization. So, Pat, if the listeners have any questions and want to get a hold of you, what's the best way to do that? Well, they can call me. Um, my uh, telephone, my office phone is 952-921-5853. Uh, they can uh, look at our website, uh, which is C. Erickson. E-R-I-C-K-S-O-N, law, L-A-W, so c.ericksonlaw.com. Or they can uh, email me directly at pmazarol, P-M-A-Z-O-R-O-L, at c.ericksonlaw.com. Sounds great. I appreciate you coming in, and we'll talk again. Thank you, Barry. Thank you. This has been the Barry Law Legal Podcast. Tune in again as Barry interviews lawyers, real estate agents, lenders, and other professionals that bring popular legal-related topics into focus for his listeners. Barry Rosenzweig can be reached at 952-920-1001 in Minnesota and 480-227-2203 in Arizona. He can also be reached by email at barry at barrylaw.com or online at www.barrylaw.com.